This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, strap on your bootstraps for an incredible conversation that I had with Jethro Lloyd, CEO and president of iLab. There is such great nuggets in this conversation and wait till you hear how he talks about and his passion about why it is necessary for leaders today to show their human side versus trying to be a superhero. And You're also going to love how he talks about rallying the wisdom and the talents and the gifts of everybody in the organization and how to do that. And we had some good times during the quick question section. I think you're going to walk away inspired. You are going to walk away with a new appreciation of your journey as a leader, moment by moment, embracing the squiggles, embracing the detours, and showing up as your real authentic self. Jethro, the first question I have to ask you, because I know there's such energy and passion behind it, is why do you think it is necessary for leaders today to show their human side versus trying to be a superhero? For many of us that grew up maybe in the 80s and the 90s, I think the image or the notion of a superhero was one without the ability to fail. and the biggest problem with the superhero image is if you are inspirational and you're trying to lead the next generation or you're trying to inspire people, if you do not have any ability to fail or show some kind of vulnerability, people can't connect. So you remain so separate and so segregated from your team members and maybe those people that you're really trying to inspire because they're looking at you and they're saying, this person never fails. This person is perfect. They get everything right 100% of the time. And and I think if you don't show your human side, they need to understand your story because there is no leader that has been successful 100% of the time. And, And truthfully, success is a series of failures until you reach success. It's like great ideas. Everybody has this assumption that all great ideas come from a single moment in this single event. I remember growing up thinking about Archimedes and this crazy, insane Greek fella running through the streets naked, screaming Eureka because he had discovered something. But he'd probably been thinking about it for months on end and never could articulate it. And then a single moment in time gave him that idea. So for me, showing some level of vulnerability and the ability for you to show that you don't get everything right, A, welcomes people into your world. So it allows them to be part of your solution or part of your business or part of your company. And B, it doesn't make you less inspirational. It makes you more inspirational, makes you somebody more likely to follow. All the greatest leaders have failed. All the greatest leaders are human. And it's how they express that humanity is really how much you get inspired by them. There's so much about that that I just love. And I think with Brene Brown's popularity increasing and showing that vulnerability isn't weakness and that we do need a different type of leadership style than we had in the 80s. What's so interesting, though, is I run across so many people who conceptually they get it, but then they think vulnerability is a weakness or they think that, well, it's okay for other people, but it's not okay for me. So what would you say to those people or how do you inspire people to show that human side that might be a little scared of it? Grew up in South Africa where boys don't cry. So it was very much, there we are lining up to to run into a rugby field, but physically 
throw ourselves at each other and be very physical and aggressive with each other. And certainly the, the opposite side of that is, well, you don't cry. Okay, so real men don't cry. Okay, and that's what we were raised with. I don't think vulnerability is the excuse to cry at everything. I think vulnerability is about showing what you're really strong at, what you're really good at, and being able to be vulnerable to express your inabilities or something that you can't do. And I don't think vulnerability is a sign of weakness if expressed in a manner in which you're showing that you're welcoming somebody in to support you, to lift up that vulnerability or or that potential shortfall. Because if you're a leader and you have a perception that you're the best kid in the classroom, then you're wrong. You're the leader because you've stepped up with, with certain abilities and characteristics that define you as a leader. But the bigger part of your leadership is the vulnerability to say, maybe I'm not really good at the people management component, or really, maybe I'm not a good guy when it comes to the planning part of my business. And expressing that and being able to express it as opposed to having that attitude, I'm good at everything and everybody is subservient to me and they're there because I've allowed them to be there. I think that's where the failing is. I think it's the ability to connect with people on a layer below sort of the transactional layer that we tend to connect in business. Invulnerability is also the ability to have some level of empathy to understand where somebody might come from or, or why they've assessed the situation a certain way or solved the problem in a different way. So my advice to those people that have a struggle with, with vulnerability is you've got to try it first before you quit on it. And you've got to give it a chance. And as much as we expecting our employees to trust us, you have to take the chance to, to trust them and, and, and how they're going to express themselves with you. Oh, absolutely. If we want people to be showing up and speaking up and sharing the ideas and all those things that actually are hugely vulnerable at work, but the people leaders in the organization aren't willing to make it safe to do so, or they aren't doing that, it's it's not going to happen. So speaking of speaking up, this is a good segue. You talk about needing to create an environment where people can speak through failures. And you talk about being able to fail. And, and it reminds me, it's really what it comes up for me is that you're talking about really creating this environment of psychological safety. Why is that so important for you? The military designs their structures for a reason because they design their structures for a specific purpose and a specific design. And in that, the, the concept of somebody taking orders when, when given an order and executing an order, I understand the value and the importance and the criticality of, of that kind of design. I think in business where not every problem is a massive problem, but a business is a series of small events that occur and conspire against each other to create some massive failure or some massive event, I've never, ever heard of anybody saying that the reason why we failed was because we didn't listen to that guy, Ted, who was the intern. But the truth of the matter is they probably fired because they didn't listen to that guy, Ted, who was the third intern or the the lady, Rosie, who was, was standing there and had this great idea. It was a whole series of bad communication or should I say... The, the lack of allowing communication or the lack of allowing presenting ideas. We've all worked in it. We've sat in an environment, somebody says, let's hear everybody's ideas. And then the first person that says something, somebody next to them or somebody else says, oh, that's a rubbish idea. You can't do that. And, and they dismiss it. But the principle of irrespective of what, you still dismissed it. And if you do not create an environment where you actively believe in yourself, and it's not only me as the leader, but it's everybody that calls himself a leader or somebody that's responsible to taking care of people in the organization, if they're not 
listening and actively creating an environment where people come up with ideas, the truth of the matter is some of the best ideas come from people that are at the coal face. Some of the best ideas and some of the most simplistic ideas come from those people that are absolutely immersed in experiencing what you're debating. And if you're not listening to them, and what I mean by listening is genuinely listening. You have to listen without ego. And that's the other thing. Because you know what? There's going to be people that come up with far better ideas than you did. And if you can't get over that, then you have no business leading people. So from my perspective, one of the biggest lessons I had to learn, and I was not good at it when I first started because I was a young, a young man, I was all ego and, and no brains, and people would come up with ideas, and I probably dismissed so many great ideas because it was almost, why didn't I come up with that idea, so I'm not going to listen to it. My belief is, and I don't get it 100% right to this day, and I try every day, is you've got to listen. You've got to listen with a genuine ear, not with... I'm listening because that's what the playbook says I must do if I'm a leader today. So you said you didn't always lead this way and growing up and not having vulnerability be something that was embraced. So what was the turning point for you or how did you shift in terms of how you're showing up as a leader and the things you're speaking about today? When you're young, you tend to be all about yourself and then you do you know, crazy things and get married and have kids. And then your kid comes along and your kid shows you that actually you're their leader. So you're responsible for everything, their food, their, their lodging, and quite importantly, ironically enough, their emotional well-being. Because it turns out that you talk about a superhero for your kid. When they look at you, you're wearing a cape and you've got a shield and you're like amazing. And it was a combination of that and, and some of the, the closest people that I work with realizing how lucky I was to have them in my life and I have to change the way I work with them to get the best out of them because I'm missing out as much as the company's missing out. So why I referenced my child was that's the vulnerability part. So the importance of thinking about vulnerability because your kid's not impressed with the car that you drive or what your position might be in, in your company or how much money you think you're worth or not worth or whatever it might be. They don't care about any of that. They really only care what you think about that moment and how you're assessing something that's important to them. And not that your colleagues are the same, but all of us work on that same level. It's creating an environment where people can break past their barriers and, and show up great and, and make an impact. And there's a lot that goes into that, right? We have to make it safe. We have to model the way, which gets into the this whole podcast is about showing up as a leader. And really, we firmly believe that leadership is not a title or a role. It is really a set of behaviors. And it's about how we lead ourselves and then how do we create that space for others. And people who actually are leaders have an additional level of responsibility, right? Because you have all these people within your span of care. And when you were talking about parenting, it reminds me of Bob Chapman, the CEO of Barry Wamler, always talks about everybody as somebody's precious child. And are we viewing people like that in our organization? However many hours a day, whether virtually or in person, you have these people within your span of care and they're somebody's precious child. And would you want your child right, being treated that way? And he was my first interview on this podcast over a year ago. So it just makes me think about the, the mindset that we have of, yeah, you know what? If we surround ourselves with greatness and we let other people's greatness shine, it, it's not about us when we can elevate that in others and give that space like, man, there's a lot of good stuff that can be done. I have a mentor and a, and a friend that I work with, although we don't work in the same company, we work in the same group. And he's adamant about the concept of a, a, a title versus a role. 
And I think you've touched on it where a leader is, is responsible, is, is showing up as that leader, is expressing themselves and behaving accordingly. And, and, and his argument was too many people are too busy adding titles and, and great narratives to the back of their name as to what am I and who am I and everybody must know. But in their behaviors, they're not behaving accordingly. And I've always kept that close to my heart. And I say to my team, saying, if you're going to be a leader, Understand that you're crossing over into a space where now you're responsible. Now the care, you have a duty and care to everybody that you have now chosen to lead. That's your primary responsibility. Not did they rock up to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and did they leave at 5 and now I'm monitoring that because it's now 8 o'clock and it's now 5. And if that's the way you're doing stuff, you failed before you've even started. Because that's not the way we work today. But I like the concept that it's somebody's child. The only negative thing is there's this perception of this, what is a precious child. These are strong adults that are probably highly qualified in many instances. And I think where I agree is we tend to forget that. And for some unknown reason, we were so conscientious of the way we treat children, but yet we become adults. And we don't become conscientious of the way we treat our peers or our people that we work with. And we're very callous. And, and I think... The mindset of saying, if you're a leader, you've got to be cognizant of that. You're important. You're important to them. And, and they should be important to you. So how do you instill that mindset and those behaviors a- across your organization? Because a lot of it, it's, you're, to your point, it's a journey and it's learned. And in many cases, it's counterintuitive from what many of us learned growing up. So we have to unlearn things and we have to relearn things to be able to show up and show our humanity and to make it not about us and to elevate the gifts of others and not be threatened by it. And the list goes on and on. That's what you're doing every single day. So that's the entire reason why you exist as a leader. That's the entire reason what should get you up in the morning. It doesn't come natural for all people. Some people are introverts, but great leaders. Some people are great extroverts, but very selfish. So it depends. You have to A, set the example as best that you can. And you've got to reiterate the balancing of the conversation with its numbers, its targets, its outcomes, but it's also people, its well-being, its responsibility. And if you forget all those metrics, if you only focus on a numbers metric, which is common, we've got to make profits, which is what you're there for. It's a business. Uh, We've got to make uh, margins. We've got to meet those deadlines. All those are very important, but if you don't look at the other side of that that scale and don't balance the two, you will not meet your numbers. You will never meet your goals. You'll never hit your deadlines. You've got to set the example, but you've got to reiterate and you've got to work at it. And everything is a relationship. For many of us, we're in a relationship. It's an active process. And, and again, your kids don't care what you are feeling or how tired you might be. They need you. They want to tell you something. They want to impress you. There's so many things that that happen. And as a leader, unfortunately, you can show the vulnerability, but you still have to be that leader for those people. And and you have to be there for your team. Speaking of showing your vulnerability, I think that some of the things that you said, I just so appreciate. One, that success isn't a straight line. It's a series of multiple events. I would say it's a very squiggly line detour. And I would say once you get to whatever you call success, right, however you define it, it's still like a squiggly journey, right? It's, oh, you get to a spot and you check the box and you've made it. I think we, to your point, we just keep getting better. We become better versions of ourselves. Hopefully each day we become, you know, have a better impact on the world today than we did yesterday. And we just keep looking for ways to be better. That being said, one of the things that I've also learned in my work is that 
no matter how much work we've done on ourselves, no matter how much we believe in being human and being vulnerable and listening, it gets hard sometimes and we can get in our own way. So what I'm curious about, Jethro, is what is a self-limiting story that you sometimes still tell yourself? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so you can still show up as a leader? The biggest thing that happens to you is you get bogged down with the the day-to-day of what your your job entails or what the company has. And uh, self-reflection or the ability to take a step back and say, am I doing this? the best way I could or whatever it is. I don't I don't know if it's true for all, but there are many moments, not many, but there are a few moments that happen over the year when things are pretty tough because everybody has those tough days or whatever it is where you look at yourself in the mirror and say, you actually don't know what you're doing. You know, you're still that 25-year-old kid who, you know, you need to find somebody to help you. You need a mentor. You need to ask somebody. You need to, you can't do this. You're not good enough. And I don't think I've ever met anybody that's accused successful that after maybe a few drinks or a moment of vulnerability doesn't admit there are days that they wake up and they're like, I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't even have the first clue of where to start. The self-limiting is the belief in yourself. And, and I think that goes for everybody. So whether you're starting out your career where you look up that ladder and you see how far you got to go to maybe achieve your goals, the reality is every time you get up the ladder, you look up and it's seems like it's as far as it was when you were younger. And what I will do when I'm lucky is I've got enough friends that I've been friends with for many years and family that will always ground me and remind me of looking back at the things that you have gotten and what you're facing forward, you will get. But as a self-limiter for myself, um, it's just that self-doubt that, that on the odd occasion sets in, that little terrible little voice that says, no. You've got to surround yourself with the people that will remind you of what you have gotten and what you can do and, and where you can go. So I think it speaks to that support and why I reference some people having coaches and all that. You need that person. Everybody needs a person or people to get to and mine for different people. And I'm very lucky to have them in my life, but I think it's important. I always say that this isn't a solo journey and we don't do things in a bubble. And I think that as much as we absolutely need people who can remind us of our gifts and remind us who we are when we get lost from that version, we also need people who we know will be real with us and illuminate our blind spots and tell us when we're being a butthead or when we're playing it small or when we're getting our own way, because we need that sometimes. I'm so thankful that I have people that call me on my crap because I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. Okay, thank you. We need to be able to receive feedback or receive hard truths as much as we need to be skilled at giving them. And I think that's another thing that that I've seen with leaders at all levels, whether they're formal or informal leaders is, oh, maybe I'm okay at giving feedback or maybe I have areas to improve, but then I don't want to, I don't want to receive the feedback or I'm going to get defensive when I receive the feedback or when someone tells me I'm playing it small or I did something that wasn't helpful or hurtful or whatever that I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. That doesn't help either. But don't you find, uh, Rosie, that uh, when it's 100% truthful is often the time when you're most responsive or most reactive. When you know it's not true, you shrug it off and you're like, oh, that, that person's opinion, who cares? But when they get to the core and they go, this is the situation, this is how you didn't handle it, and this is what you said that was wrong, well, they're absolutely right. But what I'm going to do naturally is I'm going to defend myself. But again, as long as you're thinking about it and wanting to do something different, I think that's important. I think I've worked with many people and uh, I've had them in as my colleagues and I've had them as my team members where when they go through that self-reflection, the first thing they do is they flip it over and they say it was the other person's fault. And 
for me, I think that's a dangerous response to every situation. And what I mean by that is those colleagues and those friends or ex-colleagues and friends, if you are constantly focusing on blaming other people for something that has gone wrong or, or things that have not worked out, at every point, you were a player in that scenario. And whilst some things are clearly binary, there are many instances that are not. There are many instances where you contributed towards a reaction or you contributed towards an outcome. You might not have been wholly responsible, but taking no responsibility, you learn nothing. Taking no responsibility, you certainly don't show any vulnerability, that's for sure. And if it's a scenario or a situation where it's with a colleague or a team member or a client or whatever it might be, and you're not communicating in a fashion that allows them to be welcomed into both of your failures, you never really resolve it. It's an end scenario. You're never going to get to a conclusion. I struggle with people like that and identify those kind of people in my organization earlier on. And I learned the hard way with those people. So I've had a few of those people in very senior positions within the business. And I discovered the amount of negative impact they have on the business far outweighs their value, even in what they can do on a daily basis. And you need a weed leaders out of your business because they're not leaders they're in it for the wrong reason they're in it for ego they're in it for accolade and if that's what they're in it for then they're the wrong people for you they're the wrong people for the company they'll create layers between you and your team and the more layers they create the less likely you're going to hear the great ideas and the less likely you can identify the great talent that might be right under your nose that you're not exposing and promoting and 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 building and encouraging and all these things that are so important. That's the bad stuff. That's the ugly. Oh, absolutely. And how often, and I don't care what the industry is, I see it all the time where, well, that person behaves poorly or isn't aligned with our core values or has collateral damage around them, a whole bunch of carnage, but they're a fill in the blank. They're a great salesperson or a great lawyer or a great physician, or they're good technically at whatever their industry and skill is, but they are horrible in their interpersonal skills, which used to be called soft skills, which I love that I'm now starting to hear emotional intelligence and empathy and communication and self-awareness instead of being soft skills are now either essential skills or power skills. I'm like, yeah, it's about time because if you don't have those, man, doesn't work so well. I fought against the use of the word of culture because I grew up in a country that was rich in culture. And I felt it was such an insult to talk about a culture in a company when I came from a country with 11 official languages and so many diverse cultures and and hundreds of years and thousands of years of creating these cultures. And we were like, oh, let's start our company culture. And we're a three-year-old business and this is our culture. But I understand now why people emphasize it in the early days and why it was so important because it was beyond values. It was at the most simplest level, how are we going to treat people? Are they going to feel welcomed? Are they going to, and when we talk about safety now, obviously it has negative connotations because obviously people have made, you know, comedy about it, that everybody, nobody must be criticized. And it's not true. What we're saying is that, that there's the balance in everything that you're doing, the way you're treating people. I won't lie. In the early days, I fought against it. And I was like, there's no place. It's about the deadline. It's about the profit. But then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you don't have the right people in your team anymore because the really good ones that have all of this and believe in all of this, they don't want to stick around. They don't want to be around that kind of environment because there are lots of people that believe in this and are successful because of it, which is also important to to identify. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you think about it, if you 
turn on any kind of business publication or HR publication, the buzz phrase of 2021 has become the turnover tsunami. But the reality is you are seeing that really good, thoughtful, talented people, they want to be in an environment that allows them to thrive and allows their growth and lets their gift shine. They don't want to be in an environment that's hierarchical, that has a bunch of ego, that has no psychological safety, that doesn't have purpose. And so you're seeing that the organizations that have invested in their culture, in their leader, that, that are more than just about making a profit, that are really conscious and intentional, are attracting the the people that you want in your organization. So it's if your organization isn't isn't tending to that, you're you're going to be hurting big time. And I think Rose, this is the first sort of generation, maybe in the last fifteen years, where people are looking at organizations and saying beyond like making a beverage or printing documents, whatever your company's purpose is. Beyond that, what else are we here for? Because we're spending Monday to Friday, the bulk of our day in a place, I want to know that while I'm here, I'm going to maybe do something good. Or while I'm here, I'm going to make a great friend or learn something new. As businesses, we can fight with each other till we blue in the face. Who pays the most and who gives the best benefits and all this good stuff? That's linear. It's that important stuff that you referred to, Rosie, that in the absence of you thinking about that, then you don't differentiate yourself. But more importantly, you're not going to attract people because that's what they're asking. So these are important things, actually, because the world needs it. Most organizations are thinking about it, but I always get sometimes the sense that they're thinking about it because somebody says they've got to think about it. It's like a ticking of a box. And I think the, the one thing that I've come to realize is the good thing about the, the new generation is they can see through your crap. It's a very much a good thing. And I've been saying for years that with transparency and social media wrong or indifferent, that organizations can't hide their dysfunction anymore. You can find out pretty easily, like, what is it really like to work there? Not the smoke and mirrors that might be on a website or some PR campaign, but what's it really like to work there? And your savvy, talented, smart, astute people are going to do their homework and go, do I really want to go there? <laughs> Maybe it's not worth it. Or if it turns out it, you're, you're authentic and legit, yeah, right? Like this place is real. So here we go. So I want to transition if you're up for it. I have a short section of quick questions that just the first, first thought that comes to your mind, just to show a little more of your human side if you're up for it. I'm going to try my best because the first thing that often comes to my mind is cucumber or avocado because those are my safe words. So I don't know if it's <laughs> those kind of questions. Words. Okay. If I hear cucumber, avocado, I'll know it's your safe word. I love it. Okay. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? It's something that I strive for daily. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Make sure that the people that I trust around me in the company can show up for me. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? I think they're often surprised when they see that I like the same things as them that are fairly simple or simplistic, whether it be just the enjoyment of going to see a movie or whatever it is, because again, because you're in a position, they perceive that, oh no, he probably doesn't do that. I think they quite enjoy it when I, I do something that they don't perceive that I would enjoy. I get stuck in or involved with them at, at a level that they would never expect. Your favorite go-to movie? Oh, Top Gun, Gladiator. I think all the ones where the 
the underdog kind of rises up and makes it through, figures something out. There's nothing better than 80s movies because of the cool montages where they got to train the Rockies. <laughs> the movie, what was the one Rocky where he went to Russia and he's lifting bags of corn and, and the Russian guys on the best science of the 80s and whatever it is. I, I, I think those movies are always great because I think there was something about those movies that were very simple. It was people that were focused on getting something right and everybody around them and everybody part of that was in the same with the same objective. And they got there and they worked hard and they struggled and they fought and they argued and they fell out and fell back together and they cried and they had losses. But it's I think it's an overwhelming success, just the ability to succeed. So those are my go-to movies. Gladiator was obviously very sad, but he lived up to the promise. He did he he, he never gave up. So those are my go-tos. Your go-to song. Probably anything from uh, Queen, We Are the Champions, any of those kind of, they had such great uplifting, lifting music. I think that's why it's played at all ball games and the likes of, because it's awesome. So that would be my go-tos. What's something you can't live without? I hate to admit it, but probably the internet. (laughs) Access to the internet at this stage. But on a real level, I probably could not live without my family. I couldn't do it. Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy. 100% 100% my kids. I've got young kids. My, my daughter's nine. My son is 12. They still have that very cool age with the amazing nuggets of these great sentences that the greatest writer in the world could never come up with a sentence as good and as perfectly timed as your children and, and what they do. For sure, it's, it's at dinner and, and that singular sentence that no matter how sad you're feeling, oh, it's like the best sentence I've ever heard in my life. The best understanding of something, the best explanation of something. That's probably what I love the most. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful for so many things. So that's a one-hour podcast answer. Unfortunately, I was talking to a colleague of mine in the UK, a person that I do business with, and, and we were talking through, I hadn't spoken to him for a while, and how's he been? The first question everybody's asking each other after 18 months, how was it for you? Did you survive? Did you make it? And him and I really realized that no matter what, as educated people, as people you know, employed and working in business and living in good homes and good areas or whatever it is, there is so much to be grateful for. It would be immoral for you to put it down to that one thing. You've got a great family and you've got great work colleagues. I work with some of the best people. They give me joy every day, getting on the phone with them for the, for the 7.30 in the morning. Hey, what are we going to do today kind of event, whether I'm phoning the team in South Africa or Brazil or I'm working with my team here locally in the United States they're enthusiastic, they're excited, they're solving problems, they want to do better, they want to do more, whatever it is. I'm a lucky man. And and besides the joy of your family and, and, and your friends and, and the things that you have to look forward to, all the things that you plan, go see this, I'm going to read that book, I'm going to watch that movie, that's grateful. If I was being completely shallow, I'm grateful that the last James Bond, No Time to Die, was excellent. So as a James <laughs> Bond fan, I'm very grateful that, the, that Hollywood didn't mess this one up. Because they tend to. So I'd like to say that on record that I'm very grateful that No Time to Die was an excellent James Bond and I feel good about it. But besides that, obviously, all the important stuff. So I'm very grateful for all of that. Good. We'll have to, we'll have to add it to the movie going agenda. So that's fantastic. So I have one last question that I want to ask you in closing. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader regardless of their role, 
what would that be? I think as leaders, my biggest ask is that we start listening and listening again before we start acting. I think a lot of leaders think that they're listening and they act accordingly, but I don't think you need to listen to one conversation, you need to listen to a few. And when you think you've understood it, you need to listen again. There are far too many leaders that I'm watching that I aspire to be, that I see them losing track of what they really set out to be and what they set out to do. And, and obviously, the more successful they become, the more notoriety they get, the more they observed and, and watched, whatever it is. And I almost think there's a point at which I feel that they're not listening anymore. They're not listening to their teams. They're not listening to the market, their client, the likes thereof. So I think it's listen, but stop again and listen some more before making a decision, before acting. And think about whilst the world expects us to get everything right to be perfect in our understanding of the changes that have been presented to us and perfect in understanding every human challenge or variety, whatever it might be. I think it's important that if you're listening and at least you're showing that you care enough to listen, you don't have to be it, but you're listening and you're listening with a genuine ear as opposed to I'm listening because again, like I said before, it's my checkbox. This is my time to listen. I think the world will be a a better place. And I think people would be happier at work. And I think we would be more successful as society if we got this right. So it's listen again, listen for the third time before you do something. And then listen again. And maybe that's what I'm saying is continue to listen. It's not a single moment in time that we're now listening and we don't listen again after that. I love that. I love that. I so enjoyed our conversation and I just love everything that you stand for. I love the message you're doing. I love it. So it's just, I'm super excited to get this out there to everybody. So thank you for your time. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com. And of course, hit that follow button.